Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And uh, to kick things off here, uh, we're going to respond to a little bit of listener mail. Uh, yeah. Is because the entire episode uh, kind of flows from that listener mail. Yeah, I believe that we had a couple of listener emails that stemmed from an episode that we did on um, kids who were psychotic um, or the ability to actually identify children who might be sociopathic. Yeah, and we, I, I mentioned in passing, it's like, oh, personhood, we could do an yeah. episode on that. Yeah, because we talked about personhood, we talked about corporations, and we talked mm-hmm. about uh, a film that dealt with actually um, running corporations through this this test of this uh sociopathic test and finding out that corporations actually fit the bill there. Yeah, that if if corporations were people and you psychoanalyze them, your results would be kind of frightening. So we thought, well, heck, why not do a a podcast on personhood and get to the bottom of of this topic? Well, personhood is a deep thing to get to the bottom of, uh, kind of bottomless in a way. So, But we're certainly going to uh, do our best to... uh, to explore the topic and uh, and raise questions in your mind about what it really means. Yeah, and uh, in particular, I wanted to call out listener Kelly B. She sent us an email, as, as well as did uh, other people, but she uh, she let us know that uh, it struck her interest, personhood, because she just finished a philosophy class on bioethics, and uh, they talked about personhood in ways she said she never imagined were possible. And she actually even shared her class materials with us, which was really nice <laughs> um, and, and very inspiring to talk about this. Cool. So, uh, personhood. What is a person? This is, um, what constitutes a person? This is rich philosophical ground. There are many definitions. There's, there's a great deal of debate. Debate has raged on this, uh, in philosophic circles for centuries. Uh, we are not going to nail down a, a precise definition in this episode. So, uh, so you can expect, uh, the philosophical questions to continue, but uh, but there are some basic ideas that we're going to run through about mm-hmm. what a person is. Um, some definitions really center in on the idea that uh, that the person in this case has strong moral rights mm-hmm. uh, and is deserving of legal protection. Um, other definitions uh, focus in on the idea that this quote unquote person has higher moral status than other living things, mm-hmm. and um, and, and one of the uh, the more kind of succinct uh, definitions comes from uh, philosopher Mary Ann Warren, who lays out five different um, bullet points for personhood. She says, one, consciousness, okay? Uh, and uh, in particular, the capacity to feel pain. So is this quote-unquote person, and I'm not going to say quote-unquote person every time I use person in the podcast, <laughs> so don't worry, but... Um, but is this person uh, capable of feeling pain? Are they conscious of, of what's happening around them and mm-hmm. their own pain? Uh, number two, reasoning, uh, the developed capacity to solve new and relatively complex problems. Is it figuring out how the world around it works? A stapler uh, does not have reasoning at its, uh, at its disposal, for instance. Um, number three, self-motivated activity. Uh, is it doing stuff independent of, of either um, genetic or direct external control? Uh, does it have the capacity to communicate um, by whatever means are adequate for that particular um, person? Mm-hmm. And uh, is, it, uh, is it also uh, aware of self-concepts? You know, is it self-aware of itself? Does it know that it knows something? 
Um, so these five classifications are rather useful, but then they're also kind of problematic as well because, uh, as we were discussing before we got into the studio, like what happens with a person if uh, you know someone sustains an injury and they lose the ability to speak if they're unconscious? Like mm-hmm. now you're down to three out of five. What does that mean? Are you three fifths of a person? Are you, or, or is would the scale really require that you at least hit three out of five? And if you drop down to two, then that's it, or is it? All or nothing. Well, and there's all sorts of legal ramifications here that we'll get into, but I did want to go to the etymological roots here in terms of legality and go back to the, the word person, which mm-hmm. comes from Latin persona, okay. which means mask or to act apart. Um, person, this idea of a person, really sort of uh, became much more nuanced in Roman society when it became attached to the notion of uh, someone's identity and status, as you mm-hmm. mentioned. And then this evolved into the concept of personhood, which is then a legal right, not only to your name, but to all the wealth that you accumulate under that identity. Okay, so so the, in, in its origin, it's really more of an idea about public perception of me. Public perception, uh, public wealth, and rights, right? I mm-hmm. mean, if you're a person, you have specific rights. And it's it's crazy to say that, but at one time in history, some people were not considered a person, right? Yeah. And, and they didn't have rights. And I'm talking specifically about the 14th Amendment, which was uh, a Reconstruction-era amendment meant to bolster the effects of the Civil Rights Act passed in 1866. And it said that state and federal citizenship for all persons, regardless of race, both born or naturalized in the United States, was reaffirmed. No state would be allowed to abridge the privileges and immunities of citizens. Mm -hmm. No person was allowed to be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. And four, the fourth condition, no person could be denied equal protection of the laws. So really what you're seeing here is um, this concept, this consciousness of self, uh, this abstract really sort of coming into concrete terms in terms of material possession or even just trying to navigate the world. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, like you said, when you look back in time, you can definitely find plenty of of cases where not everyone was really um, afforded the same level of personhood as the other humans around them. Mm-hmm. Certainly a, like like just in, the, say, the American South, you know, in, the, the, in, in relatively recent history, uh, a man had more rights than a woman, and the man had more rights than the slaves that he owned, to, to say nothing of animals and <laughs> and and uh, and you know corporations and, and what have you uh, then you'll have uh, you'll have shamanistic religions say uh, you know uh, you know cultures in uh, say the the Amazon or uh, Siberia or uh, and also uh, uh, also uh, uh, Tibet's um, uh, early bond religion was was animistic as well where animals have a kind of spiritual essence or or there are other be- belief systems where even inanimate objects have kind of a spirit and to a certain extent you could say they have a kind of limited personhood mm-hmm. and that these things are not mere objects but they are things that matter on a spiritual level um, and uh, and that changes the way that you interact with them now not to the point where one would say I'm suing a caribou this week but to the Why extent, well, well, because the the, the caribou has no possessions yeah, to sue, or, or me would be the other way around. The caribou could not sue me, but it would be a matter of when I kill a caribou, it maybe has a little more weight because that caribou means something, 
in a larger sense. You know, what's interesting, too, is that there's some, some, I guess you could say, radical thought that if you wanted to drop out of society, if you wanted to um, divorce yourself from this notion of, of material wealth and all those trappings, that you would inhabit an animalistic-like uh, existence, mm-hmm. wherein you don't have you're not saddled with things or with this idea of legality or rights. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and and that you mentioned that, and uh, some of the definitions of personhood I encountered really f- uh, focused in on um, social aspects of mm-hmm. personhood. And and, they've, and one even made the argument that if you removed all of one's social, um, act, not merely activity, but just relationships in general, like a man alone on a desert island, becomes less of a person because he has no interaction with real people. Right. And then, of course, then he applies personhood to a volleyball, and you got yourself a movie. <laughs> you were talking about Wilson. Yeah. What's the name of that movie again? Um, it was Tom Hanks is... The Guy Island on, Dude. Guy on Island. The Island Dude. Oh, The Island Dude. Island that Dude was in Volleyball, one. the motion yeah. picture. Yeah. Castaway, that. right? I think so. Yeah. Uh, I just remember Wilson more than that, though, um, because that was really interesting because Wilson is the projection of the person. Um, what I wanted to, to mention here is that I think that all these conditions, these five conditions that you talked about, consciousness really seems to be the one that stands out the most, this underpinning of what a person is or, or what personhood is. Yes, yeah. and that's great, too, because it's like, all right, so what makes a person? All right, got to have, they got to be conscious. And then you're like, all right, great. Well, what's consciousness? And right. and then you fall down the well because that's 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 the big one of the big philosophical questions. What is human consciousness? I mean, it's not only philosophical; it's neuro- neurological as well. It's a it's it's uh, an area that the multiple fields continue to try and figure out. I mean, it's also the domain of uh, of spirituality and religion, like just trying to figure right, out what right. is going on with the with inside this mind and this this person that we think we are. Um, like just self personhood is just impossible to wrap our heads around. Well, it turns out that Thomas Jefferson was really interested in this idea of consciousness and personhood, and he translated philosopher de Tracy's writing on personhood in Treatise on Political Economy. And here's a quote from it. It says, Now this idea of property can only be founded on the idea of personality. For if an individual had not consciousness of his own existence distinct and separate from every other, he could possess nothing. He could have nothing peculiar to himself. So, again, here you see the legality of the issue really rising up again with this idea of consciousness, which then gets into the territory of, uh, as as Kelly B. pointed out, something you wouldn't normally think of, living wills. Mm -hmm. Okay, because now you have this idea of, okay, I have to meet these conditions. I have to be conscious. I have to be uh, capable of rational thought. I have to be self-aware. I have to be capable of purposive behavior. And I have to possess a sense of my own existence over time. So my today self and then my tomorrow self. Yeah. And so you do get into this whole area of, okay, now my personhood is existing in uh, different tenses. (laughs) And it really does affect... um, this ability to govern your life at later stages. Yeah, some of the definitions of personhood that I encountered too also uh, mentioned um, the idea that there is something consistent over the course of a life span for this person. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the the idea is that from from birth to death, 
there is a, you know, uh, Julie may change, but there is a certain Julie-ness to this person that remains the same. But, uh, but then you, that raises questions, well, what happens when, well, first of all, even though the, Ju- the Julie-ness may remain the same, um, Julie from a year ago and Julie from a year, a year from now are kind of two different people right. in, to varying degrees. And, uh, and certainly you look at cases where individuals have dementia or they have, uh, they've encountered something, uh, even, maybe even less severe that has, uh, significantly changed them. Uh, how does personhood factor into that? Uh, you look at, I mean, you encounter this, well, not you personally, but we all encounter this in looking at the cases of, uh, of, uh, convicted felons. You know, someone goes to jail for a murder when they're, uh, you know, when they're 18 and then when they're 60 years old, like they're they're a different person, right? I mean, they're I mean, on a, right. on, a, on granted, on a legal, on a on an actual and legal sense, they are the same person that committed that crime in the past, but in another sense, they are really not that person anymore. They're not an eighteen year old who killed somebody. They're this older person who has uh, who has had all these other life experiences between. So, I mean, it it gets ever more complex to really nail down right. that personhood. Especially if you now go back to a living will that was made in a certain year of someone's life and uh, let's say that they have experienced brain death or um, some other circumstance which has changed their lot in life. Now you have to consider whether or not their their past self really is, is um, in agreement with their now self, their present self and to suss all of that the, the the legality out of that situation, which becomes really interesting. Um, I thought this would probably be a decent place to mention something called Personhood USA. Oh, yes. This is a group uh, behind multiple multiple state-level measures to define life as beginning at conception um, rather than than birth. And this is this idea that personhood uh, really happens with the zygote, right? Yeah. I mean, because... Ultimately, yeah, when you're talking about personhood, it also becomes a question of when does it begin and when does it end? Mm-hmm. Like, when does it end? Like, does that, do you have to wait till the heart is stopped, till the brain is dead, till it's, till the body has decomposed? Is there a certain amount of legacy personhood where it's like, all right, well, the brain has died, but the body still lives, so it's not really a person anymore, but it was, so we're gonna be cool with it. And then in terms of birth, yeah, is it, is it, is a person a person upon birth, upon I mean, conception. a zygote doesn't meet those conditions that we talked about right. before, right? Yeah, depending on, you know, it comes down to the language of it, like which definition you're going to throw out. Right. If you're going to focus on consciousness, then uh, you have to wait between 20 and 32 weeks uh, into gestation. And that's when uh, uh, cortical neurons become capable of firing in ways that make consciousness possible. Okay? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, culturally, you've, you, you see uh, cases, especially in the past, where children had limited levels of personhood because on, on a you know up until a certain age that was not guaranteed that they were going to really survive so to what extent were the parents willing to invest in that child so you might have personhood might not kick in till like age 1 um and then uh and then you've you've seen you know as far as arguments about does it begin upon conception does it you know does life begin ejaculation you know are are dry humps people i don't know yeah, no, I mean, it's very, it's interesting because it has this idea of personhood, uh, USA, this group, um, if, if they were to, um, have legislation passed as they are proposing, 
you're basically saying that they would, you know, outlaw abortion at any point in a pregnancy for any reason and potentially ban the use of in vitro fertilization and uh, many types of contraception. So even IVF, uh, this technology under under these um, conditions of Parenthood USA or Parenthood <laughs> Personhood USA uh, would not be in use anymore. So yeah. it the reason I bring this up is because personhood isn't just uh, let's define you know the self and all the belongings that we have. It extends far far uh, uh, more into these other realms of existence. Yeah, um, and as you say, birth and death. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we will drive forward into discussions of corporations as people, um, artificial intelligence as people, animals as people, um, and maybe even people as people. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. And you might even get a Mitt Romney impression. All right, we're back. Uh, well, you, you buttered everyone up with mention of it, so go ahead, give us that uh, Mitt Romney impersonation that, okay. is, that is so uh, central to the, the discussion here. Okay. Uh, corporations are people, my friend. <laughs> nah. No, that was good. That uh, was yeah, good. That yeah. was good. That was not a sound clip. That was Julie doing a Mitt Romney Yeah, voice. yeah, that was Mitt Romney's not here with us. Um, I, why do we bring that up? Uh, well, it's funny and it's topical because, on one hand, it's... Um, Mitt Romney does have a lot of money, and at times comes off a little robotic. So it's it's easy to have a lot of fun with the idea of corporations as people, uh, because we're also talking about um, about AIs as people as well. But uh, but yeah, it's important because you get into this uh, this idea of attributing personhood to things that are not really people. Right. Um, no matter where you are on the political side of the discussion, there's no denying that a corporation cannot be hit by a bus. Um, right. A, a corporation uh, cannot go swimming in a pool. Uh, well, certainly not a small pool. Um, it, it's it's a rather different thing than a human being, and yet we have attributed it a large amount of personhood status when it comes to uh, the law. Yeah, metaphysical personhood is what we're talking about, and um, what happened basically. I mean, you can kind of look at the evolution of corporate personhood in this way. Uh, you had the Santa Clara versus Southern Pacific around mm-hmm. the turn of the century case, and this really helped to define the personhood of corporations in terms of the 14th Amendment. So basically what lawyers did is they said, you know, we, we want... Um, you know, we want corporations to be able to have certain rights that humans do. Is there a loophole here? And essentially the 14th Amendment was this loophole. So this... Uh, this gave this case actually gave corporations um, a modicum at that time mm-hmm. of personhood rights. So when we're talking about rights, we're talking about um, rights to sue and be sued, vote and exercise free speech. So it was limited at that time, and particularly if you think back to Roosevelt in about 1907 or so, there were further limitations, particularly with campaign money. Okay, yeah. so uh, Roosevelt said you know, there are limitations here. You can't just go around giving corporations can't give campaign money to to candidates that they like and swing votes. Essentially, yeah, that would be crazy. That would be crazy. Although in 2010, <laughs> the decision was made by the Supreme Court to uh, essentially repeal about 100 years worth of um, uh, legislation, at least when it comes to that. And 
they money do. Money is free speech. Money, corporations are people. Yeah. And money is the thing that corporations speak with. So, corporations now can um, can use their money to uh, advance a political candidate, although they cannot give it directly to that candidate or to that campaign. But they can put up one million billboards or uh, they can air commercials or, or any other way of, of trying to um, support that candidate. Um, I couldn't help but think when I'm thinking of, of corporations as people, I can't help but think of uh, and, and the idea that we are giving personhood to something that does not really exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I keep thinking of tulpas, which are uh, in uh, like Tibetan mysticism is this uh, this uh, this thought form. It's the idea where you get three people in a room together and they both all three of them really believe in um, in something if they all b- really believe say in a uh, a woman with fiery red hair. Mm-hmm. And then that then that uh, that tulpa is born out of their thoughts. They they think it and they make that 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 vision manifest in reality. Okay. And so, uh, especially if you look uh, to um, to ancient Roman law, you get this idea of of a juristic person. This is a single non-human entity that legally represented a group of many people. So, money money comes out of me. It comes out of the other two people in the room, uh, and we use that money to breathe life into this tulpa, into this non-real thing. Our money makes it real. Uh, our money is an extension of us, and this thought form is an extension of that money. So the corporation right. flows out of that. And uh, and from there, I found it interesting that Thomas Jefferson, along before the 14th Amendment, he had, he had apparently suggested explicit language to govern corporate entities uh, in the Constitution. Uh, for instance, he had a, uh, one of the stipulations that he had brought up was requiring maximum lifespans for corporations. So, Yeah, explain the maximum lifespans a bit more. Well, my understanding of this, it would be like... Um, those three individuals in the room that mm-hmm. believe in the fiery red woman and, and create her out of their thoughts, if they die, then the, then the, uh, the tulpa, the thought form, can't exist anymore. It was, it was made of their thoughts, and if they cannot think those thoughts, then it is gone. Um, likewise, a corporation is made out of money coming from people. Mm-hmm. And if those people are no longer there, then the money cannot sustain it, and it must die. So in this scenario, it would be sort of like the stockholders. So this... this, this uh Personhood would be attached to the stockholder's lifespan, as opposed to what is now yeah, set as, up. Yeah, as opposed which is to this this situation now, where a yeah a, a corporation is a maybe a person on on in this legal level, but it's also a person that cannot die. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it cannot die in the sense that you and I can die, uh, and it uh, and it also can't uh, say be put in prison if it does something wrong. Well, and I think that the the criticism that comes up here is that when you have a really powerful um, corporation with a ton of capital to spend that um, that is sort of immortal, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, then then it's not a, a level playing field. They are not a person. They 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 even though they have the rights of a human, and so that I think is what people take issue with when it comes to politics, especially because then you have something that's sort of like a superhuman. Um, you know, because you know each corporation billions and billions of dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, and trying to um, influence the way that that politics are played out in the public arena. Yeah, you end up with a situation where it's like, hey, this this person that you guys created or that your grandfather's created just uh, 
I don't know, destroyed a town or, or uh, landed on my house or, you know, or, or did some sort of uh, evil in the world. And uh, It's kind of like a golem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the golem is, uh, is it, you know, very, very akin to that idea of the tulpa, of the the thought form, a, a non living thing that is given life uh, through magic, or in this case, uh, finance and law. And doesn't necessarily have critical thought. It is only uh, the golem is only tied to what has it has been told to do. Right. It's right. not necessarily thinking. Is is this the best? Situation here for everybody involved. <laughs> well, you hear to, you you see discussions about various corporations and, and the and discussions of the values within that company, and, and and there's a lot of discussion about well, what are the the values that are put in place when that company is created, and while those values might not necessarily stand the test of time as mm-hmm. that corporation grows and adapts over time, it's still those a lot of times the, those values are still kind of in its DNA. Um, like, uh, like, not to toot our own horn, but you know, we work for Discovery Communications, and I feel like there are some there are some good values uh, in the DNA of that company. And I'll talk to other people who work for companies that shall remain nameless that uh, <laughs> that that maybe don't have as good of DNA going on. That like that some some values were missing in the in the the origins of that particular company. Okay, so, I mean, that's... The programming, if you will. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was thinking, is that it's almost like programming the code. Yeah. And, and what do you program there? Because, again, the you know, the company is going to outlive all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what does it look like several generations down the line? All right, well, uh, at this point in the uh, discussion, we really need to take a break. And we're, uh, we're adding this in uh, post-recording. We just, uh, we just talked about personhood. Uh, quite a bit in this recording session, and we really decided we needed to split it up into two uh, episodes to do it justice. Yeah, definitely we had to have this foundation in order to talk about the next section, which will be about robots and animals. Um, so at this point, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, you guys can find us on Facebook. Where we are Stuff to Blow Your Mind, and you can find us on Twitter, where we are Blow the Mind. And you can always email us at blowthemindatdiscovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.